Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of November 8th, 2023. We have a Thanksgiving and hanging with your family themed episode this week. I'm Charles Hain, host of the podcast. I am here with Gigi Hawkins. Hello. Jason Hellerman. Good morning. And in addition to that, we are going to be talking about what to do. We had a great article, a guest post this week on the website about what to do when you take a film class and how to make the most of it. And I know all of you are thinking about taking my 35 millimeter class next summer. More info on that later. So we're going to talk about what to do when you, how to take the most out of a film class. But before that, our first topic this week is Thanksgiving. You will see family, some of which you haven't seen in a while. How do you explain to them that you work in the film industry? And what are your strategies for dealing with their most common bizarre questions and suggestions? So I'm going to kick it off with this, which is the classic piece of advice, the, the boomerist of boomer advice, which is, well, you just need to find James Cameron's office and sit outside in the hallway until they walk out and say, I'm going to be you someday. Help me. And yeah, Jason, you did that. I did do that. When I was it's like 2012, when I moved to L.A., I went to a talk. Tony Bill, the producer of The Sting and many other humongous movies. Literally watched talk and he, The Sting last night. So <laughs> chill. Great movie. Yeah, great movie. Absolutely. He did this talk and in it, I think so, in a Q&A, someone was like, what's the craziest way someone's ever gotten a script to you? And he was like, someone swam out to my boat while I was fishing to hand me a script. And he's like, and then I had to help them like back to shore. And he was like, I read that script because that guy risked his life. He was like, and it sucked, but I did read it. You know, like, and someone was like, well, how do we get, you know, like Sands wanting to risk our lives. How would we ever get you to read one of our scripts? And he was like, I'm telling you right now, I show up at the office at like 6 a.m. every day. I work in Venice. He like gave us the cross streets at the time. And he was like, if you show up with my coffee order and he like told it to us, he was like, I'll read your script. And he was, and people, and like, I remember the moderator being like, oh, like, you don't want to do that. Like, there'll be hundreds of kids lined up. He was like, in my 50 years of producing films, I think one person's ever done it. I can guarantee you no one in this room will do it. Like, whatever. And I was like, oh, I'll, like, if someone tells Challenge me no one's going to do something, like, I will do it. So I can't even remember if that was like a Wednesday, but like the following Monday, I drove to Venice at the time I lived in Venice. So it was very convenient for me. I don't even think I drove. I think I legitimately walked down the boardwalk to the cross street. There was like, you know, one of those bougie LA coffee places there. I grabbed him, you know, his like large Americano or whatever it was. I can't remember at the time. And then I just literally sat out there on a bench right where, you know, exactly like everything was as described. And right around 615, he rolled in and I was like, my name is Jason Hillary, blah, blah. He's like, oh, damn. <laughs> you know, like, like basically like someone did do this and he was like, I am booked up, come back at 5 p.m. And I went back at five and we had like, he had like a nice rooftop sunset and he just had me pitch him three ideas. He was like, just pitch them to me. And if I like any of them, I'll read them. And he wound up liking one of them, read it and had me come back, give me feedback. And it was like, here's a very name droppy thing. He was hanging out with Billy Bob Thornton. And like, I guess like Billy Bob was leaving. 
was fun. And he introduced, he was like, this is Jason. He's a great writer. And I was like, oh, that's super nice. We wound up talking about a script that he enjoyed. And then over the years, have like slowly kept an email touch as my career did. He obviously didn't produce it, but had some amazing advice of like what to do and what to write next. And honestly, like how to make scripts I was coming up with more commercial. So it is a thing that is possible. But I will say at the time, he said I was the second person in 50 years that had ever done it. So maybe it would work. But also, I think uh, it would be dangerous to assume anybody was that interested in reading you know, your stuff. But he gave me the green light. So I did do that. It does exist. You can tell your family my story. You can pretend that story happened to you. You know, that's always, uh, I think, good advice. But interesting guy. And it's always very, very nice. So like, you know, if, if someone ever leaves a door open like that, I would suggest entering. But as we know, many, many doors are not open in Hollywood. So you have to find a window to sneak through sometimes. Yeah, I've definitely had to combat the, the family feedback of, well, why don't you just take a big swing in a quantum leap of some sort in your career and just do it, which actually ended up being sometimes good advice. But in the moment, especially like as an emerging filmmaker where I was still learning how to write a script and un- learning about story and how to execute that, I had to pump the brakes on them and say, well, first I need to be able to stand on my work needs to be able to stand on its own before I can be making those big swings. And then the other thing that I find, you know, at the holidays I am combating is the uncle coming over and saying, boy, have I got a story that is a movie for you. And just because something happened in your life doesn't mean it'll make a good movie. And, you know, there's a lot of nodding and listening and sure, but, you know, it's it's a, practice in patience sometimes. I mean, I think that one's a particularly, like, I think that one's not just limited to the holidays. That is all year round. It once people find out wh- what you do and where you work, like the ideas come and, you know, it is, it's always good practice. Like, look, you have to make a decision how much you're going to explain to people. Like, you know, I have a good friend who's like, it's not my job to teach people things. Like if they've offended me, it's their job to figure out why. And I'm not quite that aggressive about it, but I'm like, you know, it depends on how close you are to me and how often you pitch me movie ideas. But like, guys, I have a Google Docs spreadsheet with 100 things I would like to get or like 80 something things right now that I would like to get to writing. Like ideas are not the problem. You know, the cliche of the writer sitting in the room, like for a lack of ideas is a weird cliche because almost every writer I know has like 19 things that they're meaning to get around to and they are too busy or they're in the middle of something. Or, you know, if anybody watched the Wes Anderson Roald Dahl shorts, there's a, one of the Roald Dahl shorts was on a short story that he had been in his ideas folder for 30 years. And I was like, yeah, Roald Dahl, thank you for giving me hope that some of the things that have been in my folder for 15 years, I will finally get to. But like the idea is not the precious thing. The execution, the actual doing the motherfucking work is the hard part. It's the same with businesses, right? So many people think like, oh, I had the idea for that business. I deserve so much. And it's like, No, I mean, you deserve something, sure, but the actual work of making the business occur is the effort, and it's the same with the screenplay. And so, like, you know, if I always let them tell me their idea, and I'm always like, oh, that's great, you should write it. Like, you should totally write it. (laughs) Once or twice, I've heard ideas where I was like, oh, I'd be open to exploring that further with you, and they never follow up. One time, actually, I will say one time, he was a very good friend. I'd known him a very long time and he had a great idea. And I was like, yeah, if you would like to work on that, I would work on that with you. I think that is a good idea and never heard from him again about that. Like we continue to be friends, but like, you know, that such is life. And 
yeah, for the most part, like I, I get it. Everybody loves movies. So of course we have ideas for movies. I, I think it's beautiful. I think it's helpful to also provide context to in a family member or a loved one or a friend who clearly is invested in you as a person, but to explain that, you know, when you see a movie in its final form, the amount of work that went into everything from breaking the story to finding the story again in the edit, like it, it should lead to an effortless experience for you as a viewer. So I think it's very easy for there to be a disconnect to think that something is a good story or to think that you can tell or write a script, for example, if you watch a bunch of movies and maybe it's our job at the family Thanksgiving dinner table to be able to articulate, actually, there's a lot of work that goes into this process. And um, one, like, so people can understand why it's taking you a year to write your screenplay versus, you know, Uncle Jim saying, well, just write it, okay? And pass the mead. And what a lively dinner you're having. I know, I know. I love how your Thanksgiving takes place in, I was going to say, is your Thanksgiving in the Middle Ages? Yes, yes. Do you go to the past uh, for Thanksgiving? Uncle Jim's Nordic and... A role play, uh, a role playing Thanksgiving dinner. Mold wine is the correct uh, drink that my mom makes. But, or it's like, you know, oh, interesting cousin... Larry, like you want to, you're, you think you can write a screenplay? Here are some great courses that, which we'll speak to later, that can sort of inform how you can figure out what this story actually is. And this is how I did it. Yeah, I think it's so funny you say that. I mean, like I've worked at No Film School now for like, I think five years. I think I just hit my five year anniversary yesterday, which is, thank you. Yeah. But I now come armed with articles. I know where our evergreen content is. And I'm like, oh, you have an idea you want to turn into a screenplay? Here's my article on how to write a screenplay. And, you know, and here's the, the free ebook we have. You know, I sort of just charge everybody with their own mission at this point. Or it's like, oh, you want to talk to me about the ending of Prometheus? I wrote about it. You can just read my opinion here. You know, we don't have to go. In. I'll, you know, what? I'll go into it uh, anytime you want. But right now, I just want to enjoy my mold wine. One thing I think is that you touched on, Gigi, was just like, the idea of educating in, in like, I think in like a tangible way, like if people really do have questions, I am, I, you know, I like to explain it in general, but I do think a lot of times it's either like, I've got a great idea for a movie or it's like, why don't you call Netflix? I feel like Netflix would be, you know, frothing at the mouth for your content. You know, it's like as if Netflix is like a guy named Steven Netflix that you could yeah. just like call, you know, <laughs> like read this script. Hi, Netflix. Um, I, will, I have a yeah, exactly. great idea for yeah. a show. Yeah. So it is, it's those things, you know, I think some of it's educating. Some of it's just, I call it like joyful listening where I just smile and laugh and I go, I wish it worked that way, you know, but it doesn't. And most people don't want to hear that. I'll say that as my career has gone further along, you know, my family, when I was an intern, wanted to hear all the name droppy stories. Who's mean, who's fun. You know, now it's now a lot of times it's like, with the strike, which was, which was such national news, you know, it was like, how is that? How are you doing? And I know the holidays, a lot of it will be like, what are you working on now? And I kind of treat it a lot like practice for general meetings, mm. you know, like uh, how do I pitch this in a way? Like what's a way that gets people's attention? And I will say something that I was talking to an exec about yesterday, you know, shout out to Evan and Steven, two execs I had dinner with last night before watching Double Indemnity at uh, the Academy Museum. It was something we talked about was the idea of we pitch what we're working on, you know, even execs to our family members to see if they are 
into that idea to see if it does cross out of our tiny bubble, you know, in Los Angeles of like is and New York really like who is that? Uh, who's that? You know, whatever. Like, just is does this idea translate? And I find a lot of times some ideas might horrify my mother and aunts and uncles. You know, but yeah, it's like are these people going to show up to see it? Are they like oh that's nice and walk away from you, or are they really engaged? What's happening next? You know, and is this going to be something that like you know is a uh, and like a way to identify a hit maybe early on. I think as I've gotten older, the the challenge for me is different now because I'm used to people like most people that I run into, most of my friends and and relatives at this point understand like, oh, that thing I shot last summer might still not be done. Like that was very weird in the beginning, but now my, people are much more used to like, oh yeah, like it, sometimes it's two years later that come, like people seem to get it and I'm older now. But the thing that's different now is, and maybe this was true 20 years ago and I just didn't notice it as much, is people just having like blatantly wrong ideas about how the Hollywood industry works and like explaining it to me with full confidence that like, oh, well, you know what Marvel Studios is doing? They have this strategy that's X and Y and they're like deliberate. And I'm like, I actually like conveniently went to someone at grad school who works at Marvel Studios and he is not nearly that cynical and is actually trying, like, like, I don't like, it's very weird to be in these scenarios where people are like, you know, the studios, they deliberately find young directors they can take advantage of. And I'm like, no, they actually really want the best possible people to do these things. And they're like thoroughly vetted. And like, sometimes every movie is a roll of the dice, but like people will so confidently be like, yeah, this is a deep strategy. And I'm like, I think we see strategies in the world where there aren't. And I assume everyone at every studio is trying to make the best possible movie they can. Because even if they're cynical, they know a good movie will make more money than a bad yeah, one. Yeah, everyone wants to make a hit. There's no, like, the producers is yeah. not happening in real life here. Everyone is absolutely desperate to have made something that everyone loves. I, You know, I tell everybody, I was like, watch Ed Wood, the Tim Burton movie. Like, even if you have no talent and you're out here, you are desperate to entertain people. Yeah, we all just want to do good work. So it is interesting. But I wonder if that is a new thing. Like, I feel like he, the world is much more transparent than it was 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. Like, because of, like, social media and Reddit and all these things, like, people have opinions about stuff that they may not know about. And that's the bigger thing for me to navigate at holiday. Or more parties. My family. <laughs> so, so let's talk about a question that an emerging filmmaker may get whether they're hoping to become a DP or a writer or a director or a producer or a development exec. And let's talk about the questions that come your way that are questioning the integrity of the career choice itself. You know, I could see and I have gotten feedback from people in my life when I decided to make the switch. They're like, well, this is this doesn't make sense. And like, what do you mean you're going to be an assistant or you're leaving your corporate career or you're, oh, you're choosing this pathway. Be prepared to wait a lot of tables. Feedback like that, that's really like, you know, scrutinizing the choice to enter the filmmaking world or, you know, kind of dismissing the fact that it really is a, it, often you have to start from a very entry-level position and work your way up. How can our listeners navigate that sort of energy at the table. You know what? I, I'll tackle this one because I feel like I'm like most recently, I don't even know if you're ever removed from that, right? The scrutiny will always be there because 
people with traditional jobs who get traditional weekly paychecks who are like, you know, I work for, you know, Giant C. I work for CEO Corporation and, you know, I have a cubicle and I sit and do this and I get my 401k and do whatever. I think those are, look, I write a lot of movies about people like that. You know, like Mm -hmm. those are real people and they have real jobs. What we're doing is a creative risk. It's a life risk. It's whatever. And I think, you know, admirable on both ends for what people choose. A lot of the way I take the the question just kind of comes back with, I come back with, well, I really believe in what I'm doing. You know, like I I think like whether or not I was, you know, if I was a public defender who believed in that or like a save the whales person who was camping on the beach 24-7, like I really believe that Hollywood and the things we do and the things we make can actually make a difference in the world in in an interesting way and that entertaining people is has intrinsic value itself. So I kind of come at from that. I go, you know, I'm like, oh, I know people worry about that and I don't mind waiting tables. I, you know, look, half the reason I took this job at No Film School five years ago was that I was like, you know what, it would be nice to be able to count on something every month as I wait movie to movie. But what I like to do is like plant a seed of hope for them a little bit. Like, hey, I absolutely know it's hard now, but I'm working with these people. We really believe, I, I believe in this project. You know, you, GD, I'm shooting, I shot a movie in Panama. I'm doing these certain things. And even earlier in my career, when I was an intern, it was like, I'm aware I only get paid at the time $36,000 a year, <laughs> which was next, I was going $10 in credit card debt every month because I like didn't make enough to like just make basic bills. I was always losing to my parents at Christmas. I was like, just as long as you give me $100, I can avoid credit card debt. I can pay off these bills. But it's like, you know, I think like planting the seed of, hey, I'm working for, at the time, a giant company, an Academy Award nominated director and, a, and then an Academy Award nominated producer, hugely famous people, you know, planting those seeds. This is what I'm doing. I have a script that I'm, people are excited about. Then I had a script that was on the blacklist and I had a movie that was being made. Now I'm, you know, I have a movie that's supposed to shoot in April now. So it's like planting those seeds for them because by the time I see them the next time, maybe that thing's done, but I'll probably have another seed to plant mm. and you just kind of go day by day. But some of it is just like having passion about what you do. And, and if they can't find that passion, I change the subject to something that's way worse. You know? so, <laughs> Let's talk yeah. politics. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Let's fight about something else. Yeah. I th- The other strategy for me is that I still think there's this weirdly persistent thing in the world that film is not a real industry that not many people work in. And that, you know, if, if you're not going to end up Spielberg, you're nothing, which is funny because I remember 30 years ago talking with a friend to explain to his I remember a friend of mine explaining, he was like, yeah, my mom is like, if you're not Spielberg, you're nothing. And I'm, and he was like, mom, there's hundreds of thousands of people who work in entertainment. Like, I don't need to be the head of a bank. I'm happy working mid-level in the bank. I don't need to be the head of entertainment. I'm just happy working in entertainment. And that was 30 years ago. And entertainment's way bigger now. There's so many people. I, I know someone who just left New York and moved to North Carolina. I'm just working for Mr. Beast in the art department. Like, like Amazing. we think of YouTube and we think of YouTube as like individual creators, like a YouTuber is just a personal one with their phone. But like the big YouTubers also have crews, also have support teams. There's producers and camera people. And like, there's so much content and so yeah. much of it is made by professional people making good livings that I think that, you know, I always end up getting in a very political argument where like, and maybe this becomes annoying enough to people. I follow the Jason Hellerman strategy where I'm like, all right, you want to talk about this? Let's talk about this. We deliberately erase the labor of the people who create the art we want to see because we don't like thinking about all of the effort that went into it. And so we tune out that it is actually a very hard job. And part of the beauty of you getting that experience is erasing all of that labor, which is why you think it's not real labor, but there's actually a tremendous number of people who make great livings in this industry 
And, you know, we need to do labor actions. We can have more middle-class incomes for those starting out. And we can have a bigger middle class in the film industry and less of what we have right now, which is a lot of like a very small number of people at the top buying mansions and a lot of people at the bottom living in one bedrooms in Riverside. And we need like we need to get back to that strong middle class for the entertainment industry. But like millions of people work in movies, millions. And most of us will not get to be Spielberg. But so what? Like we can still enjoy writing and making and doing and all of that. And if we find a way to make a living doing it, it's still a beautiful thing. Gigi? It's so powerful what you just said, which is like, of course, people erase the labor behind this industry because it is entertainment. And and similar, similar but different, I, I like to speak about treating my career like a business um, because it is like we are the CEOs of our own careers, especially, you know, in if you're working outside of the system as an independent creator. But also, if you think about it, like I look at so many directors or screenwriters or teams that create their own little businesses, their own little production companies to develop their work. It is a business. And coming from the business world, I, I utilize a lot of the same tactics that I did, which is, you know, hey, it's a numbers game. Like I, you know, at a certain point, the only thing you can do is create, whether it's writing and put things out there. And I remember when I was working in ad sales, my boss would say, the only thing we can control is the number of meetings we are able to set up because that will influence the number of proposals that we get as a team, which influences the number of pitches that we can make, which influences the number of wins we have. And it was such a tactical way where I'm like, all I know I can track the number of meetings I set up. I know I can track the number of meetings I ask to set up. And so that's sort of how I think about it. And one of the things that I used to talk to my very businessy dad about it. The other thing that was helpful for me in the last couple of years, because I was transitioning and I'm like, five years out from wrapping production on my first short, which, you know, we shot over two days on a weekend. And then I went back to work on a Monday is explaining it as I am in life grad school. You know, I am four years into leaving my job, going to film school, dropping out of film school, but meeting Charles. So, so worth it. And, and then continuing to take classes and sort of shaping my own experience in this learning phase. And to me, shooting the the feature in Panama was like my thesis. And that's how I've been contextualizing it for myself and for people who care about me, who don't necessarily understand the business. And that's something that they can hang their hat on. You know, I understand you go to medical school and you train for four years and then you go into residency and then you do this thing. Like there just isn't the same structure for the film industry. But if you can come up with a, a comparison that they can hang their hat on. I think that's a good tactic for talking to your insert whatever your parents do career like jobs to talk about your own career. One secret thing I'll say, and this is like, I mean, this is such a Jason thing. I feel like I always come with a hot, this is like maybe akin to when I said I kick over the Uber robots in Los Angeles when I see them. I wish now they have cameras. You can't do it anymore. Learn that the hard way. But is if I have a particular person, let's say what's gone, you know, uh, let's say an aunt or whatever. Uh, I'll find out what her favorite movie is or whatever. And then I will use all of my Los Angeles contacts to get an autographed Blu-ray of that. And I'll be like, oh, yeah. And I will make it sound very easy. Like, oh, I just called Stacy. 
And she gave me Nicole Kidman's headshot and I just brought it home for you, you know, which true story. So like, there, you know, but it is like, I will do that. I think if you kill them with kindness, there's always something there. Never doubt it. And then honestly, like Hollywood, New York, wherever you're working, when you're like, you will have a good story. You know, like what you're working on is a story. It's always fun to hear about. I mean, like Gigi, you'll be the talk of the town with Panama. You know, like people are going to want to know how did it go? What did you do? What it was like? And whether or not you go to Panama or not, you know, so much of my time just spent in an apartment writing. But I, you know, talk a lot about like, what was the process? How do I come up with these ideas? What are movies and TV shows I love? Different grains of that. And if you can't find anything to talk about, hopefully your family gathering or party has someone else and you just got to, you go, I have to go to the bathroom. I'll catch you later. And then you go find someone else to talk to, you know, like pass them along. But never underestimate the power of a gift. I've gotten very lucky. I remember one year I was working on something tangentially with Henry Winkler. And he was doing a tour for his books. He has like a really cool book series, kids book series. The name escapes me. But anyway, his tour wound up getting canceled because of COVID, that thing that happened. Remember COVID? And I had said tangentially, oh, my whole family was going to hear you read these books because, you know, I had, we have, they have little ones who love them. And he was like, oh, take your iPhone out. And then just video a message for them that is like a cherished thing in my, our family of just being like, Happy holidays. I'm Henry Winkler and I'm standing next to Jason, you know, like stuff that I was like, oh, that's a a lifetime thing. So if you're ever in those uh, positions, you know, and you can gather anything for your family, especially with working wise or or mention something, hopefully people are generous. But it it makes Hollywood feel a little bit more tangible or real. And, you know, a little step by step, you know, you have the cool stories. So the gift that uh, makes people embarrassed to doubt you, always good. And, you know, pick up the little things along the way. Don't be afraid to tell the stories. Because honestly, there's no way what you're doing here or how you're, even if you're breaking in, is not more interesting than like someone's TPS report, you know? Like it just is. It's in here. It's art. It's interesting. It's exciting. So, you know. That is, Jason, you are so good at Hollywood. Like I had, like it never crossed my mind to be like, oh yeah, the signed photos, but like, like classic old school Hollywood stuff like that. Like I always do, I try and remember clients with Christmas gifts, but like, the family members with the signed photo, like I am, I'm taking notes. Like that's so, do it, it's do so it, yeah. old school Hollywood, but it's so great. Like so much so respect good. for that. All right. So moving on to our next topic, we had a great article from a guest writer this week that we thought was really interesting. We wanted to dive into a little bit and talk about Lydia Muir, 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 Muir. Yeah. Muir. I like saying it Muir, but yeah, yeah like Muir Woods. Muir. Weir Woods. Yeah, I'm realizing that I haven't said that very often aloud in my uh, life. But yeah, it's basically just if you're going to take a film course, what do you want to try and approach it with to take away the most possible? Which I thought was a great angle for an article from a guest post. I I have thoughts and bring it. I think you set your goal and what you want to get out of the class beforehand and then look at everything through the lens of that course. I remember taking a class where I, you know, part of the idea behind it was to work with actors on a soundstage and direct actors and get practice doing that. But I was making a short outside of the program and I wanted, so, so I chose a scene that would inform choices for a scene on something else I was doing because my overarching goal was to make this other short. And so I like try to get the most out of a class that's based off of like what my end goal is and use that. I've seen a lot of 
folks sort of apply this teacher says approach, which I think at a certain age does not make sense because at the end of the day, like you should be doing it, whatever makes the most sense for what you need to do to build your own career or to build your tool belt. And so I think that's a good way. And also being very open with the teacher of like, this is what I'm hoping to get out of this class. I don't think a grade matters. I think learning is what matters and learning based off of what you need to know. I came such a circuitous route to film school. You know, like I, I was in athletic training for one semester and knew it wasn't for me. And then was an English major for one semester and then was like, I like movies. Why am I not doing that? And then, you know, finally, I remember by the time I could take film and TV courses at Penn State where I would, went to undergrad, it was so exciting that I didn't know what I needed to get from it. You know, it was just like you're showing up at class like, I can't wait to use a Bolex. I can't wait to do this, which was part of what informed why I went to grad school. Because when I knew I wanted to be a writer and concentrate on writing, I was like, oh, I don't know if I had gotten enough out of Penn State. I don't think I had, you know, by the time I figured out what I wanted, I think I had sampled a lot of different things, which is what drove me to grad school. And when I went to Boston University, the way I picked BU was just like I needed somewhere a little closer to home for a while, somewhere hilariously less expensive. I'm using air quotes than the USC's of the world because it was still very expensive. And I am you know now burdened with a generation of debt. But and I also knew like going to that school, I remember talking to John Bernstein, who's the head now, and Scott Thompson, who's or who's the head, who's the head then, and Scott Thompson, who's the head of the screenwriting school there now, and saying like, what I the only reason I want to come to this is I want to be able to go to Los Angeles with at least three finished feature screenplays. Because I was obsessed with that idea of like, you need to have multiple scripts to come out here to be able to show different people. And they're like, oh, that's all you're going to do here. For the next two years, you're going to write a feature. The first, you'll be hopefully writing a feature every semester. So it was like three or four or, you know, three in a pilot, blah, blah, blah. And then they had an internship program in Los Angeles, which is what took me out here, got me a job at Scott Free eventually, or I got myself the job, but it got me the internship there. So it was like, finding exactly what I wanted out of it. You know, one thing Lydia makes a point of in her article that I, I thought seems like an oh, duh, but like I didn't think about it. It's like, oh, like a lot of times if you're taking this, you are around like-minded people that you just want to like find your crew, find people that you want to work with and, and you want to do stuff with. I remember at Penn State, you know, I really enjoyed writing and directing. My friend Brian was obsessed with producing and my friend Liz wanted to be a DP. And it was like, oh, well, like suddenly that's who you do your thesis with. You know, and it was like everyone got to do what they wanted to do. And you sort of naturally click into this cog. And even in Los Angeles, the more people I meet, it's like you're friends with producers, you're friends with people. And like, obviously, I'm friends with other writers, but finding the people you want to work with, the people that you're like, I want to bring to the screen. You know, I'm doing a movie, soft, soft podcast announcement. I, I can't say which studio, but I'm doing a movie and we're shooting in April. And it's a like a legit action movie. And I'm doing it with a, a woman who's my friend who is a director who I met at a party out here and we just had the exact same interests in terms of like what action movies would be. I remember 10 years ago when I met her being like, oh, I'll just write something for you when, when, when the time's right. And the time was right and I wrote something for her and we didn't think, you know, it was one of those shoot your shot projects that then, you know, was able to find funding, I think, A, for being done and B, you know, I think tick some of the boxes of things people are looking for. But finding that crew, you know, we met through a networking event, which I went to not to just you know meet people, but to network, you know, to talk and get stuff. So I do think it's there are some of those obvious things that you should get out of it, which is like hopefully finding your people. And I think it took me so long to find film people. You know, like I was the movie nerd in high school. There's like one of you, you know, like I'm in athletic training at 
University of Delaware for one semester. I was the guy who was like, I'm not supposed to be here. So I'm definitely alone now. By the time I got to Penn State, I was the transfer guy. You're alone. So it's like when you get there, I think taking comfort in finding your crew and your, your people, but also like those are the people you should embrace because you never know. I mean, some of my best friends out here today went to Penn State with me. One of them, this guy, Evan Littman, who runs Get Made, which is like an international sales company, and they do script notes, gives me notes on all my screenplays. And I've known him for 15 years. My other friend runs posts at ILM. So anytime I need some sort of digital, whatever, you know, like a SFX guy, I'm like, who do you have who's hanging around who might want to do this? You know, like those are the networks and the, the things you build off of and hopefully roll into. I also like the, two other thoughts I had on this are more about like, because the article had some, like a lot of like, nice notes about like very specific, like practical stuff, like try everything. You might be surprised. Like you might discover that you enjoy parts of the filmmaking process you don't think, which I think is great advice. And I had two things happen to me right. right before I went to USC that I think about from time to time. One was I was working in marketing at Lionsgate. I got that job. I emailed I went to a college without a film program. I emailed every single alumni in LA. I got a list from the alumni department of who lived in LA and it was an East Coast college. And it was like 30 people. It was like not many people from where I went to college moved West. So we met them all. I had lunch with three people. One of them was like, ah, I don't have a job for you, but I know someone at Lionsgate introduced me. I got a job. It's how it used to be. I don't know if that still is. That could be very boomer of me, but I was working at Lionsgate. I think it still exists for sure. Yeah, yeah. maybe less now, but definitely. I was working at Lionsgate and the head of marketing at Lionsgate was Ray Price, who knew everybody. And then there was another woman there, Marina, who took me aside once and she said, pay attention when people come in for meetings and you will notice this. The actors want to talk about themselves. The directors want to know about you. And she was right. And the directors would come in and the better the movie was, the more they wanted to know about everybody else. And it was clear that like they were just interested in humanity and they wanted to learn whatever they could about people. And it was so, and I remember the director of the fast runner came in and like, I know nothing about him because it was just an hour of him trying to find out everything about everybody there. The fast runner is a great movie. Everybody should go watch it. And I thought about that a lot when I came to film school about like wanting to learn about the world and wanting to learn like. You're in a film class, not just to learn about like how to thread a camera, but also about all of the people and the teacher and humanity. And it's an opportunity to learn and grow. And then I had another great thing that summer I took an improv class and I wish I remembered this teacher's name and I don't, and I'm embarrassed, but he stopped after class. He took me aside and he said, so your defense mechanism is you like to pretend you already know everything. And what you need to do is humor me and pretend I know something you don't that you might learn from me. Because you paid to take this class. So just pretend you have something to learn. And it was really powerful. I actually, 10 years later, I was like hosting a TV show on the Discovery Channel and I was driving home from set one day and I pulled over and he was like smoking a cigarette with all his students. And I was like, you gave me the best advice ever and now I'm hosting a Discovery Channel show. And I drove off and I was like, all of his students <laughs> think he's probably great. <laughs> but it was true that like, not everybody has this defense mechanism, but it is a common one in filmmakers to be like, I already know this. Like, I already know this thing. Like, oh, I already know. Especially, and like, you could just pretend you don't know it because maybe you don't know it. And maybe if you think you know it, there's more to it that you don't know. And it completely changed my experience of film school to try and put that defense mechanism down and be like, yeah, maybe I know story structure. Maybe I don't. Maybe I already know a little bit about how a little camera, maybe I don't. Maybe there is still more to learn. 
And I, so I think that can be a really great thing to like walk in and be like, yes, I've done X, Y, and Z. Like most people come to film school, like I'd say half of people who come to film school have never touched a camera, never opened Final Draft. There are a lot of people in film school who are like, I spent five years as an actor already, or I spent what, like, yep. I had already, you know, in undergrad, I directed a feature project on 16 millimeter. Like I, you know, figured some stuff out. But making the decision that, like, I'm actually here to learn. And, like, I thought about this a lot, you know, that great Marty Scorsese interview that went around from GQ a couple months ago, where he was like, yeah, I'm just here to learn. Like, I'm in my 80s, and I'm trying to learn about people. And I'm like, fuck yeah, like, we're all just here to keep learning and growing and sharing what we've learned. And I'm embarrassed I do not remember his name, because it, like, changed the arc of my life, that guy. I'll embarrass you further, Charles, and give a shout out to my professor who gave me advice to change my life, <laughs> Professor Lynn Elliott. Uh, she was at Penn State. Now I think she's at Iowa. Uh, we got to have lunch pre-COVID in LA. She was here for a conference. Amazing person, but I remember her very similar to what you said, Charles. She sat me down and said, Jason, you do an amazing impression of Kevin Smith, but I think you came to film school to figure out who you are, and he, you should probably start. And I was like, oh my God. This is like, it felt like I was like, you know, I had a therapy breakthrough, you know? I was like, you are correct that I am hiding behind something. And honestly, like my, it changed the, I felt like it was the, the push I needed to, at the fork in the road where I was like, oh great, I am going to try and figure out what I have to say and do stuff instead of just trying to write stuff that I, or mimic things that, that I couldn't do. So it is, that, that's part of why you go to school, figure out who you are. Because honestly, once you get to Hollywood and once you've taken these courses and want to take your big swing, you better have a point of view because it's the only thing that'll make you stand out. We talk a lot about voice, right? Whether that's screenplay voice or auteurs have voices, you know, like visual voices you see on screen. And the only way to find that out, it's not just through learning how to do things, taking courses, but it is through figuring out who you are and what you have to contribute, not just on like a basal level, but just on an emotional level as well. Yeah, that curiosity for who you are, but also about the craft itself. It, it can if you can continue to hone that and like, like good old Marty Scorsese, like have embrace it, embrace it that you'll always be learning. I think that's powerful. And it doesn't even have to be necessarily in conversation with a teacher or professor. There are so many resources out there, whether it's, you know, we have, of course, the No Film School Cinematographer course and and the masterclass courses where you can usually get like a, a free course when you sign up and you don't have to be spending an exorbitant amount of money. But even, you know, through through reading, I'm reading George Saunders' book, A Swim in the Pond in the Rain. And I see Jason grinning and nodding his head. I, I love George Saunders. Love that George book is magnificent. It, it yeah. really is. And it's structured like his course that he teaches in his graduate writing program. And through it, I am discovering stuff or feeling validated around my own voice as a screenwriter and as a director and finding and honing that voice. And it's simply by reading and applying that curiosity. Yeah, it turns out that this whole podcast was just an endorsement of a swim in the pond in the rain because it turns out the three of us are all really into yeah, that as we book. Say, if we're doing book endorsements, I just picked this guy up at the little used bookstore. Uh, Gigi, here's your Christmas gift spoiled. <gasps> but it's called My First Movie. I and it's a book it. from about 20 years ago. And it has directors like the Coens and Pedro Almodovar and Alison Anders, Steve Buscemi, Mike Lee, Kevin Smith, Anthony Minghella, whatever. A huge list, Mira Nair. And it's just them. One chapter each. This is what my first movie was. Oh my God. And this is how I made it. And it's amazing. 
that same deal. It's like learning and everyone's different strategies, how I did it, why I did it. Some of them are studio movies. Some of them obviously are funded independently. And I think we should honestly, we should find a whole podcast. Maybe we'll do yes. it um, later November with like what, you know, almost like a gift guide. Maybe we just, but we pull books because I have a whole shelf. I also think everyone should read Sydney Lumet's Making Movies. I Lumet. I don't know. Yeah. We'll go with Lamette while I'm sitting here and could be wrong. But it's I do think there's so many resources out there. You know, check out used bookstores, check out garage sales. There's always stuff, you know, if you have to use the old Amazon.com, go to the used section and buy from a bookseller. It's always at least 50% cheaper. But, you know, there's a lot of free information out there. I mean, no film school. We have the course. You know, there's certainly things you could pay for. But I do feel like we have such a deep catalog. It's why it's honestly why I've worked here for five years. There's a deep catalog of articles. We just really want people to make and do their best things and seek it out, find it, and then find yourself within it. Because the most joy I have watching things is watching something that I was like, oh, this person is working through something. This is beautiful and interesting. And, you know, whether it's Martin Scorsese, who's 80 and on his whatever, like 53rd film, I don't know, something like that, like a lot more. I went and saw Dream Scenario on Friday, which that guy was on his second movie, first fully English language movie, and was obviously also working through something. And an interesting and fun way. Like whatever you're doing, keep learning and keep trying. And I think that's like the, it's the impetus for why we create. Well, it is, it's, it's also the biggest counter argument to AI. Like the thing we didn't bring up during the lunch, con- the Thanksgiving conversation, but it is a thing that like, I don't know if anybody's come up, but like random people are like, oh, AI is coming for your industry. And I'm like, first off, why the glee? Oh, yeah. Why the smile on your face? But secondly, yeah, uh, I, I think there's a legitimate threat to acting and performing with the ability to like have an AI performer do pickups and voiceover. I think that's real. I think that's like I'm glad the actors are writing that. But like fundamentally, I just cannot believe AI is going to write a screenplay because the joy in a screenplay is witnessing another person's humanity, either in an individual character or in the overall coalition of like like it is a, you know, no different than the joy we get from reality television, which is about watching people. Like, I just can't picture generated content inspiring that level of recognition where we look at another thing and see us. And if we are, I think we're much further from it than we, we think we are personally. But then again, I, like, you know, maybe I'm a boomer. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing that like we're looking for from cinema is knowing who you are. And if you're looking for some more talking points and or pushback against somebody gleefully saying it's coming for you, I definitely recommend checking out last week's interview with Yashar Kasai, the production designer on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem film, uh, because he spoke about some bigger picture industry-wide things that clearly applies to AI threatening outside of just entertainment. And I think it can very easily be turned around to your cousin in finance and your brother in insert industry that he is tech. dominating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Who yeah. is exactly. brother in tech? Definitely not me. Not wink, me. Wink. Yeah, it is. I look, I mean, I don't know. AI is coming for everyone's job theoretically, but the people that it's coming for last are the people who are creating something from nothing. And that's us. So, like, you know, anyone that's warning you just so they know their job will be wiped off first. You know? Like they're not. I do think there still is an inherent beauty in the, the creation of something from nothing in art. And, you know, aside from having a kid, it's the only other way you can do this. You know, so, yeah. you know, enjoy finance, bro, because AI can do math really well already. You know, like it's it's coming. No, AI will come for the CEOs of things much faster. 
And if you want to learn a thing that AI will never do, I teach a 35 millimeter class in the summers in New York. AI is not going to be shooting analog film anytime soon. I just got cheers of the other two people for how good that transition was, which like fills my heart with joy because transition is my favorite part of this job. But yeah, uh, learn to shoot analog 35 millimeter with me next summer, two weeks in June, brooklyn35millimeter.com is the website. It's for college credit. So it costs like college credit money, but it's public school college credit money. So it's like a third private school college credit money. And keep your questions about it coming. People have been emailing me questions. And as I answer the questions, I'm putting it on the website in the fact, which is what the whole fact is supposed to be about. So I'm learning how to do websites 30 years too late. And I'm doing this class. <laughs> Let's see. What do I have to promote, if anything? Me? Nothing to share here yet. <laughs> yeah, GG's Honeymead. Yeah, coming soon. The store near you. Yes, yeah. yes. Family Feud Meet. I'm at Jason Hellerman. You can email me, jason at nofilmschool.com. While we were recording this podcast, we got a great Ask No Film School question, which we'll jump into next week. So, you know, we I do read the emails. I'm always excited to get them. You know, and if your mom is bugging you this holiday season, give her my email address. I'll set her straight. Yeah. Send me your moms and your aunts and your uncles and your creepy cousins. You know, I've got, I've got advice for all of them. That's all. All right. See everybody next week. <laughs>